0: All right, Uh, good to see everybody this evening. Okay, if that's where we're starting, oh, trust me, we're gonna end in such an amazing place. It's really gonna be awesome. Um, I have a whole message, but I have some things that I just wanna say real fast, if that's cool. Um, Wisdom, what is wisdom? (laughs) Wisdom in the scriptures is the ability to rule well. And actually, uh, wisdom in the scriptures is the first thing uh, that we see going sideways. Um, (laughs) It says it's the wisdom of the serpent that then deceives humans. So how many of you guys understand there's actually two kinds of wisdom? There's serpent wisdom, and then there's what's called heavenly wisdom, which we learn about in the New Testament. And I think now is the time for us as a church to have wisdom. (laughs) Let me tell you why. Because there is a lot of serpent wisdom that is masquerading as heavenly wisdom. And wisdom is having the ability in the gray areas of life to know which hills to die on and which ones to let go. So I want to caution our church in this cultural moment that we're in. Have heavenly wisdom and don't allow serpent wisdom to take on Bible titles or Bible names (laughs) and to use earthly wisdom. And here's why. It is very easy as Christians who are walking in truth to see lies in the culture. And when you see lies in the culture... It's very easy for you to get a heart of offense. It happens to me almost every day. Where I see something, I hear something, and instantly I cannot believe that. That's ridiculous. This is insanity. I'm watching movies from the 90s now, and I'm just going, that was a much simpler time. (laughs) Uh, But we were put in this time. And we were made for this time. And so, it is very important that we do not fight the battle in front of us with the weapons that the enemy uses, sanctifying them with spiritual or Christian names. It is very important that we fight the real fight, which is not against flesh and blood, but against demonic principalities that are in control behind the scenes of various people groups, various people, and over different locations. Okay, so, I know you guys don't like wearing masks, I don't like wearing a mask, but I, I really want us to not allow that to distract us from the real the real things that are at stake. Because um, it, it would be a shame for us to miss the the real battle, and think that the thing on our face is the real battle. It, it's um, it probably isn't, but there is a real battle going on, and I don't want you to to, to get distracted and end up using a, having a fence build up and then just using the enemy 's tactics because if we use his tactics, even if we win, we will lose okay so th- we 're going to talk even a little bit more about this, so go ahead and turn to Ephesians chapter four in your bibles uh, that 's where we 're going to be this evening uh, Ephesians chapter four if you 're new to the scriptures, um, basically the second half of the bible what 's called the New testament uh it's a compilation of a bunch of letters and what I like to call documentaries about the life of Jesus. So there's these documentaries about the life of Jesus and then there's these letters to various churches like gathered groups of people in the first century who believe in Jesus. They believe the documentaries about Jesus and they believe that they're real and that they matter and that Jesus was a real person and he changes everything if you uh, link your life with his. So Ephesians is one of those letters and it's Written to a church in Ephesus, which is in modern-day Turkey, so um, you can kind of get the geography in your mind. I, I have a little mini uh, series that I want to end the month of August with. Uh, I wasn't I wasn't planning on doing this series, but this week um, it sort of came to fruition in my mind. And so here we are. And, and here's what I want to talk about through the rest of August. I want to answer this question together. Why the church? What is the why behind the church? Why the church? What is the purpose of the church? And, and I think that this subject really, really matters because most churches in the United States are having a really hard time coming back from covid uh, we, we are seeing, on average, uh, 10 to 30 percent of church attendance drop off coming back from the pandemic. Churches are shutting their doors. They're struggling financially. It, it, it's really, really not good. And, and I think that many, uh, many people over this past year are realizing that the church has become an auxiliary part of their life. It's not a primary thing in their lives because in the 21st century in the United States, someone can cobble together much of what the church offers without actually being a part of the accountability or the work it takes of being a part of the church. So like you can get, if if church for you was all about entertainment, you can get it elsewhere. If church was all about pop psychology, you can get that elsewhere. If church is all about good vibes, you can get that elsewhere. And so if, that, if those are the reasons why church, if those are the reasons why you, you, you think the church has purpose, then it is likely that's too flimsy of a reason uh, to stand against a pandemic or to stand against social pressure or even pressure from uh, the government to stay solid. It's very, very difficult. So, so I, wanna, I want you to ask yourself this question right now. Why does the church matter to you? Maybe you're here tonight, you're like, the church doesn't matter to, you, to me, and I'm, I'm going to convince you otherwise, I, I think. Um, but I, if, if the church does matter, why does it matter to you? Um, it's an important question, and, and I want you to think about it over the next three weeks, because what I'm going to aim to do is give you three reasons why I think the church still matters. Okay, so look down at your Bibles. Reason number one, let's start here. Uh, Ephesians chapter 11 says this. Paul speaking to the church in Ephesus. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip. Everybody say equip. That was a little weak. Everybody say equip again. To equip his people for the works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Everybody say built up. Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. The first why for the church is equipping. That's what I want to talk about tonight. The church exists to equip. And, and honestly, church won't have lasting value in your life outside of equipping. It, because it won't matter. Without equipping, without giving people something they can't get anywhere else, what's the point of church? If you can get everything that we do, if you can get it somewhere else, why participate in the church? And so I want you to think about this word equipping. We just read it in there. Christ gave, and we're going to go through the whole thing, I promise. Christ gave these gifts, these different types of leaders to the church so that the church gets equipped. Now, think about that word. What I think of, when I think of the word equip or equipping, I think of an armory. I think of like a a battalion's armory, a place full of weapons, full of protective gear. And if you are a soldier and it's time for battle, you go to the armory and you take up the equipment to be equipped so that you're ready for something, right? Now, um, this reason for church, I've found, is sort of a line of demarcation for the cultural Christian. <laughs> because if this is the reason for the church, you're like, equipping for what? What? It has less to do with good vibes, and it has more to do with impending battle. Yeah, that's right. yeah. Just the other night, I was talking with someone who's a cultural Christian, and kind of unfamiliar even with what the church does, but kind of would call themselves a Christian. And I, I, they asked me, you know, like, why on earth would you want to be a pastor? And um, I described this. I said, oh, it's so amazing. We're equipping for battle. You know, and we're and and we believe in revival, and we're participating in it right now. We've seen people get baptized and saved and healed and delivered, and we've seen all this amazing stuff. People are speaking prophetically, and their lives are getting clarity and direction. It's just phenomenal, phenomenal stuff. And in their attempt to not be rude, they were like, "Oh, um, yeah, I'm just kind of more into the good vibes at church. This isn't about good vibes. This is not about good vibes. Uh, it's about battle." And and this is why Jesus told us to count the cost before you consider joining. He's like, not everybody should join. You should count the cost before you do because it's going to cost you something. And and I and I want to say we're going to talk about this over the next three weeks. Um, it's going to cost us more than it cost our parents. It's going to cost us more than it cost our grandparents. Because we are, we have literally in my lifetime gone from a majority Christian culture to a majority post-Christian culture that is resentful of the past majority Christian culture. Do you feel it? (laughs) Um, The equipping exists unto something. You're not just there to be equipped so that you can be equipped. And I think for, for a long time, you know, in a wealthy society like the one that we live in that was friendly towards Christians, this is, you're equipped to be equipped. I'm just coming to church to enjoy myself, to meet other people and to do life together, have kids together and really, you know, hang out. We can't do that anymore. We can't, that we don't get that luxury, our generation. Have you counted the cost? Like, can you imagine a soldier equipped for nothing? (laughs) Just standing there with all of their weapons and all their armor, just like, no, I just kind of like wearing it. Uh, That's called a costume. (laughs) That's called dress up. We are being equipped to fight for unity and maturity within the body of Christ. Christ. There's a very huge mistake going on in a lot of Christian circles right now that Christians should be the cultural unifiers. No. Jesus said he came to bring a sword, to divide. He's like, I came not to bring peace, but to bring a sword. You're like, really? You're the prince of peace. He's like, yeah, yeah, see, the the peace comes at a cost, and it's cutting things and people out of your life that are not on board with my kingdom. And so there's a line of demarcation that's being set culturally right now. I think it's very important that we remember our job is unity of the spirit. It's maintaining unity of the spirit. Our job is not trying to get the culture to be unified. There's no such thing as unity in the kingdom without submission to the Lord. And so if people aren't submitting to the Lord, you're like, why, don't, why aren't we a unified culture? People aren't submitted to the Lord. Every person is doing what is right in their own eyes. Why do the nations rage? Psalm 2, well, because they're following demon gods, essentially, instead of Yahweh. It's very important that we remember its unity and maturity in the body of Christ. Look down at your Bibles, verse 13 says this, until, that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. There's an interesting juxtaposition that's going on in this passage, and I, I hadn't seen it until this, this, this last week when I, was, when I was studying this, and it's between two kinds of, of Christians. The juxtaposition is this. It's between a soldier and an infant. Can you think of things more opposite? <laughs> it's between a soldier and an infant, and I want you to notice what marks someone as an infant, down, verse 14. Verse 14. Then, when we become mature and we attain to the whole fullness of Christ, when we have unity of the faith, then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, and blown here and there by every wind of teaching, and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. What marks someone, a believer, out as an infant? They get tossed they get tossed. Look, look back down. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth. And this image is frightening. It's the images of a baby caught in a hurricane. The images of, some of you have babies. I have a baby. The images of a baby in the middle of a storm in the ocean. That's pretty scary. It, it's, that is certainly death. Uh, my wife and I, we've only been to the beach a couple times with our, with our little girl. She's one, and we took her to the beach uh, a couple days ago, and just the little bit of tide that's coming in, we have to like hold both her hands so that she doesn't fall over from it, and even then, she fell over several times and got completely soaked, shocked by how cold the water is, and welcome to living in Oregon, and, and she's just like, whoa, you know? And I'm like, Oh, you wouldn't stand a chance in the ocean. You're just on the shore, an infant in the ocean. Now, notice what the waves represent. What are the waves? What is, what's tossing these infants? Look down at your Bibles, verse 14. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. What are the waves? their ideas, their suggestions. It always comes back to Genesis 3, doesn't it? (laughs) The winds of teaching, the craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Here's what Paul is saying. Next slide. If you don't see church as the place to be equipped into a soldier, you will be like a baby in a hurricane. You will constantly feel underwater, Like the air was taken out of your lungs when you hear opinion after opinion, argument after argument, you will feel confused and disoriented, unsure of true north because of the manipulation of people to get a moral leg up or to signal to others their superiority and virtue. (laughs) It's the cunning and the scheming and the deceitful craftiness of ideas that are present today. Now, does this sound like your last year? You're like, that was 2020 for me. That was 2021. Might suggests suggest that you're an infant and it's time to become a soldier? See, church exists for this. Why church? To take you from an infant to a soldier. That's why church. If you don't want that, this is going to be an awkward fit. It just won't make sense. Now, Paul really brings out the character of a church that causes such growth in maturity and equipping as a soldier. Uh, so, So how does the church get us ready? How do we get transformed? Look down at your Bibles, verse 11 again. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers to equip. It's like, I feel like an infant. I need an apostle. I need a prophet. I need an evangelist. I need a pastor. I need a teacher in my life so that I can, verse 12, be equipped to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge. Notice, it's knowledge. What tosses us? Ideas. What do we need? Knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers... Now, um, this passage in churchy language has been called the fivefold. Maybe you've heard of this, fivefold ministry. Uh, But it is really what Paul is looking at the church, the first century church, and he's like, how is the Holy Spirit using people to mature the body of Christ? He's like, I see apostles. I see people who are prophetic. I I see evangelists. I see people who care about people and and walk through life with other people like like pastors do. And I see teachers So he's he's looking at, oh, this is how the brand new Jesus movement is going to continue through these five gifts. Now, I don't have a ton of time here, but I need to define these a little bit to show you their importance. Okay, so next slide. Maybe you want to snap a photo of this or something. Apostles, what are they? They are people who help you see the kingdom strategy and the world through a renewed mind lens. It's like, you need apostles in your life so that you can see like, Okay, I thought the battle was this physical thing happening in my world, but it's actually a deeper thing, and this apostle is helping me see the strategy, the long game, so that I can renew my mind about God's intentions and not get caught up in the enemy's intentions. I need an apostle. It's prophets. They play a similar role. They help you see heaven's perspective on earthly issues. It's like, I, I don't really know exactly what to do here. And you have a, a prophetic word that gives you clarity and direction. Uh, I talked a little bit about this last week. Go back to the podcast and listen to it. Uh, evangelists, they remind us that people's souls are at stake and that this isn't all there is. There was a pastor in California who was asked, you know, do you not care about people's health in your community that you'd continue to meet during this COVID crisis? You know, do you not care about loving your neighbor? He's like, no, I care about their soul keeping them from hell, not just getting COVID. It's like, oh, there's that. We need evangelists to remind us of that. It's pastors. What are pastors? They care for the person and remind us that people need shepherding so they don't get tossed. I think about Jim or I think about Connor, these people who represent to me that pastoral heart of walking through life with people. And teachers, they combat false gospels and they set people on the course of freedom through the truth. Now, each of these deserve a teaching or an entire series of their own and someday we'll do it. But we don't have any time this evening for a deep dive. I just want you to see this, the strategy of God His plan for his fighting force on earth, for equipping his soldiers, is to have people in the church who are apostolic and prophetic and evangelistic and pastoral and who love to teach. That's his plan. Those are his weapons. It's not manipulation. It's not violence. It's not force. It's none of that. It's apostles. It's prophets. It's evangelists. It's pastors. It's teachers. Now, why? Why? Because the church needs to be equipped with truth and insight about God's ways and kingdom strategy, and it needs to have a hunger to see lost people saved. That's the real battle. (laughs) You know, I've heard the fivefold described as like a soda fountain. And when you go to the soda fountain, you have, you know, you have orange soda, you have grape soda, you have Coca-Cola, you have Pepsi, you have Sprite, you have whatever. And if you go to the Sprite thinking that you're going to get orange soda, You're going to be wrong, and you're going to be disappointed. And so it's very important that you recognize in the people around you, because God's raising these people up in our midst, oh, this person's apostolic, which means I shouldn't expect them to be like a pastor to me. I should expect them to give me the gift that an apostle gives or this person's very pastoral. Oh, I just love meeting with them and they seem like they actually care about my life and, and they've walked through some difficult stuff with me. Man, I'm, if I honor them as a pastor, I'm gonna so get the gift of a pastor in my life. And it's, it's very interesting. The more time you spend around the people who function in these five different gifts and they're sitting to your right and to your left right now, the more you recognize them and you receive the gift that they are, it was like putting that cup underneath the soda fountain and suddenly you have something to give away as well. You got next to a prophet, and you started thinking prophetically. And so now guess what? You get to be a prophet in other people's lives. You got next to an apostle, and you got, and you got your cup filled with apost- apostolism, if you will, and now you're like, oh, I'm starting to think about things a little bit differently and renew my mind in the way that I think about strategy for winning the city or, or, or cultural influence. And so I, I think it's very important that we recognize, okay, that's God's strategy, and we have to honor that by looking to my right and to my left and recognizing the gifts and the people around us. Me. The fivefold exists to teach us the various methods of heavenly warfare so that we don't move in offense and fight flesh and blood with weapons of the enemy. That's why. More on that coming in the next few weeks. Now... To the best of my knowledge, uh, we have in Saints Hill apostles, we have prophets here, we have evangelists, we have pastors and teachers. As I was writing this, I was thinking of different faces were popping into my mind, thinking about you guys, and it's just beautiful. I mean, it's, you can ask Jake, you can ask Andoni. It was part of the dream that we had when we planted this church, that we would see these five gifts at play in a single community. Such a gift. I mean, literally, it was Christ's gift to us. Um, but I want to say this. Especially to those of you that you know this stuff, you're like, oh, I could teach APET. You know, well, there's a, there's an acronym for it. I could teach this. I could teach the five fold. I love five fold. Okay, here, here's what I want to say to you. You don't need a title to be the gift. Yeah, really good. Very good. Yeah. Like, if you're a prophet, and you're like, I'm a prophet, and yet nobody here has addressed you as a prophet. So what? Like be a blessing, be the gift that you are, and and through and through your maturity and through your security, go and prophesy over people and bring them to maturity and unity and faith. If you're a teacher here, you're like, man, I love to teach, love the Bible. Alex does an okay job, but ooh, get me up there. Uh, and we have somehow, look, by no, you know, our mistake, we haven't asked you to teach yet. Uh, so what? Go be a blessing to the people that you have influence with and and go share, hey, this is what I'm learning and this is this truth that I'm walking in. It's beautiful. Look, I hope that our church and its leadership will represent all five of these wonderful gifts that Christ has given to his church. But you will never see titles on our website, Apostle Jake or Prophet Andoni. Those are not offices. There's offices in in, in the church. It's called Elders and Deacons. These are not offices, they're gifts. And we we get all, that means that any of you can be functioning in these various gifts. You don't need a title to function like that. There's no need for these things to become identity when being in Christ is more than enough. You already have the best identity in the world. See, I I think sometimes I've seen in the church, and I just like, this is like, we're having a lot of family chats this month. Uh, Another family chat, like last week, I I, I see sometimes these titles or these roles, um, some people using them as a way to get identity or to get importance in in a family. I've seen it with with prophets. They, They feel unaccepted by a community or like they're the strange, oh, I'm the strange one always seeing stuff and these people never get it, they don't see what I see. And so they feel empty without recognition of being a prophet. And so instead of using prophecy to actually prophesy, they actually manipulate the gift that God has given them to make up for a lack they feel internally. They use prophecy as a way of gaining favor. <laughs> and we just love you prophets too much to let you do that. <laughs> We just love you too much to let you find your identity in your prophecy. It wasn't supposed to be there. So the way that we stay sharp on this is by seeing the point of the gift. Like, why are, we give, why are these gifts here? It's not, it's not so that you can experience being a gift. It's wonderful being a gift. I honestly, every single week, I really do look forward to preaching. I feel like I get to be a gift in this church, and I get to function in the way that God has designed me. Hopefully, I'm a gift to you. If I'm not, I'm sorry. Um, okay, 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 okay. I wasn't looking for that. Um, what I'm saying is like, the experience of being a gift is fine, but what's better is being in Christ. <laughs> what's better is, okay, I, I got to be a gift, but the point of it was for building up the church. And, and so I wanna say this. A prophet, an apostle, an evangelist, a pastor, a teacher, they're a gift to the degree the people around them are maturing. Like if the people around you aren't maturing, I'm sorry, but you haven't been that much of a gift. It's like, there's a reason for the gift. It's equipping. It's okay. They're gonna be a gift. You just gotta get your identity detached from being a gift, (laughs) and then you're gonna be a gift. Um, Okay, yeah, that's good. That's good stuff right there. Uh, I I do also wanna say this. Um, You all will show your maturity in Christ in who you're serving. Like, if you only can serve people that are of a higher social status than you or more important than you, you are showing your lack of maturity because you actually need to ride off coattails in order to feel okay about yourself. Jesus shows his ability, uh, his maturity through who he served and who he washed feet for. And so I, I, I do want to say this. I talked about this last week. You guys are so encouraging to me. Like every single week, there's testimonies, there's prophetic words and and they're for me, and I and I hold on to them, and I own them, and I just want to say thank you. Do not stop doing that. This is not a, a, an either or. This is a, 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 a both and. Um, you, you're so good to me. But I do want to say I am probably uh, the last person in this room who needs encouragement, because I'm the one on stage, and you all know me, and you and you come and you share and you and you encourage me. I'm thinking if you're an apostle, you're a prophet, you're an evangelist, a teacher, a pastor, like. I am measuring your effectiveness not by what you tell me. Like, I don't need to know that you're those gifts. The people around you need to know. And there's people who are walking in this room and they've never gotten a prophetic word and I've gotten like 20 in the past couple weeks. So it's great. I love it. Keep practicing on me. But I'm saying this like, go prophesy over people around you. (laughs) Like, go teach people around you. Go pastorally care for the people around you. I'm thinking of like people who just walk in and they're like, you know, they're like just kind of checking it out and they're they're the ones who are like living in discouragement and they really could use one of these gifts to walk walk into their life. So I just want to say that. Uh, In our church right here, how do we equip via the five gifts? I want to get a little bit more practical as we kind of land the plane here. If, If these five gifts are God's strategy for maturity and unity, how do we make room and organize around them? How do we make room for them? Because there's some churches that are like, I don't want the apostles and prophets. Those guys are weird. And there's other churches that are like, teachers, oh, so bookish. We don't have any time for that. You know, Or whatever it is, like, how do we make room for all of it? So I, I, I want to end by talking about three different ways we do this. Uh, we do it through our values, through our leadership, and through our traditions. This is why the church why the church? Uh, we have values, leadership, and traditions that make room for the equipping of the saints through the five gifts. Um, firstly, our values create the right room for people to be gifts. So um, if you don't know our core values, we have 10 core values that animate everything that we do. They really are the character and lifeblood of this church. And just like Bria was talking about, head out to the new table, new person table. Uh, Even if you're not new, grab, we got like a nice tote for you. It's very cool. And um, you'll get all 10 of the core values with declarations on the back. Uh, These values are family standards for what we care about here. And it's important to note that we don't have a value that says just do your thing. Okay, so um, that's actually not a value here. Uh, (laughs) And uh, our values, what they do is they set up a guide rail for what growth and maturity looks like in this family. Um, someone who's submitted to Lord Jesus. Uh, one of our values is Jesus is Lord. Uh, someone who loves the Bible. Our second value is uh, the scriptures are authoritative and they lead to truth that leads to freedom. Uh, somebody who's secure and is able to honor even if they haven't been honored. Um, so, someone who promotes family in their actions, someone who has evidence of hope and joy in their lives. You know, uh, these are the kind of the, the framework for what does it look like to be mature? What does it look like to be unified? And so our values create room and they create need for prophecy, for teaching, the scriptures, for study, for evangelism, for people care. All of our values, if you look at each one of them, you're like, ooh, we need a prophet for that. We need an apostle for that. We need a teacher for that. We need a pastor for that. Trust me, look through it. They all require these five gifts. And so we make room for the gifts by needing the gifts. Secondly, our our leadership exists to empower and protect. So our values exist to create room. Our leaders, then, uh, the people who are on staff, our elders, our deacons, they exist to empower and protect. Like, like my job here primarily is not just to be the main speaker. You're like, I know that guy. He's the preacher. Well, kind of. I'm a leader. Uh, in this church, which means that it is my job to find out who is the apostle, who is the teacher, who is the evangelist, and then to leverage my authority and responsibility for them to exercise and work out their gift in the body of Christ so long as they're submitted to the elders and vision of the church. Um, the elders' interest, so if you're an elder, just raise your hand real fast. We've got Andoni over here, and we've got Jim right there, and myself. Um, The elders' interest is that Saints Hill would leverage people that God has providentially placed here in this time and space so that Saints Hill becomes the church it was meant to be in this time in history. It is no mistake that we're together. Nobody else in history gets to be in this room, just those who are in this room. It's powerful. God decided that it would be so. And, And all of this happens, this leveraging, all of it happens through relationship and through trust, with our elders, with our deacons, with our staff. Ministry doesn't run like a business. So, like in a business, uh, maybe in, in an unhealthy business, I should say, uh, businesses can run so long as the bottom line is being met financially. Hey, so long as we're in the green, it's all good. But ministry doesn't run that way. Ministry runs at the pace of relationship and trust. It really matters that we know you because we're family. I really, you know, we have a lot of little maxims or sayings behind the scenes, but one of them is we don't care what your vision is until you get our vision. And once you get our vision, we will champion your vision to oblivion. We will give you so much responsibility and authority. Once you build that trust with us, you never, you're like, what the heck? Now I'm in charge of this whole thing? Yeah, well, we built relationship with you and we saw the gift that you were. And now we're gonna give you responsibility and authority to go walk in that because that's how God matures you. That's how he equips you. Our job as leaders is to look for opportunities uh, where you can be gifts. So I want you to think, what ownership will you take? Because of what you're interested in, because of what gift you are, because of the thing, as you think about like, do I like to teach? Do I like to care for people? Do I like one-on-one conversations? Do I like to prophesy? Do I have kind of an apostolic vision for for cultural influence? As you think about that, the, the next question is this. It's not when will my church do something like this and then I'll join it. The question is, when will you take ownership for that? Many of you guys know, uh, if you've come and met with us with an idea, we tend to just say, that's a great idea, you should do it. (laughs) To some of your guys' like chagrin, you're like, oh, really, I don't know if I want to do it. I think you guys should just do it. No, 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 no. No, like, the staff isn't the church, we are the church. So if you ask, like, is the church doing something about fill in the blank? If we're not, and you care about it, you're the church, so we're doing whatever you're doing. The church is going to be about whatever you're, you're about, right? That's how we function. Lastly, we make room with our values. Uh, our leadership exists to empower and protect. And then our traditions are culturally appropriate roads for us to travel to God on. Uh, tradition can be kind of a dirty word for evangelicals. You're like, ugh, I don't like that word tradition. It sounds so stuffy. It sounds so, I don't know, traditional. Um, but tr- we all have traditions, and it's kind of an e- evangelical blind spot to think that we don't have traditions here. We got traditions. We sing songs, and we sing songs that use four chords. <laughs> Those are traditions. <laughs> uh, and, 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 I, and we always have like, we have like preaching. It's a, tra- it's a tradition. We're going to do baptism. It's a tra- it, that's a tradition. And so um, traditions are not inherently good or bad. They're good if they lead to him, and they're bad if they distract from him. So We've got many traditions as American evangelicals, but specifically I want to talk about this gathering time that we have. And I want to kind of give us some, some like how are we equipping in this gathering time? Because I think it's one of the main uh, moments for the church to do equipping. Uh, the author of Hebrews uh, says this, and let us consider how we may spur, everybody say spur. One another on toward love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. It is interesting here that there's a warning about, hey, don't, don't do what those people are doing where they're not meeting anymore. Don't do that. Why? Well, look again, because you need spurring. <laughs> you need to gather so that you can spur other people to love and to good deeds. People, you, you need to get spurred. <laughs> Um, th- this word "spur" in Greek can be translated uh, to stir some, something up, or it can be translated to like to poke. To, it's like a sharp obje- object that pokes, kind of like a you know a horse spur. It can mean provocation or even irritation. So so don't stop meeting together because sometimes you need to get irritated. <laughs> sometimes you need to get poked to discover where you haven't loved or where your motivations are out of whack. You need it. Uh, Andoni has played this role for me um, over the past few years. Uh, I remember the first year that I met Andoni, for that next year, I would meet almost every week, early in the morning, once a week, we'd get together. And Andoni would literally say, I'd say something about ministry or about life or identity or whatever. And he's like, I'm going to, poke on that just a little bit. Can I poke on that? I'm like, okay. And he's like, why do you think that? And what do you think has led to that? And do you think the scriptures support that idea? And, 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 and what he was doing is he was spurring me to love and good deeds where my, because I actually had motivations and identity that was out of kilter. And so I, it, I couldn't get to the things that God had for me without somebody coming and going, are you sure about that? Are you sure about that? So I'll tell you what, if you wanna meet with Andoni, you will be blessed, but you also will get spurred, okay? That's gonna happen. And so I wanna say like, whenever Christians gather, like it's not just in this gathering, but whenever Christians gather together in small groups or one-on-one or with, you know, or three or more gathered, two or more, uh, yeah, there's spurring that is happening, there's poking that is happening. And, uh, and notice this, this is also an important thing about this, is that our gathering should be increasing as the day approaches. You're like, what day? Uh, the day when Christ returns. So as we see the coming of the Lord, <laughs> I've talked to so many of you guys recently, you're like, I think we're living in the end times. I'm like, well, Jesus thought he was also living in the end times. I think we're, it's been the end times for a long time. Uh, at, at, like, as you see the day approaching, you should continue to gather all the more as the day approaches continue to gather as we see chaos in our world culturally as we see things like a pandemic happening we should take that as a sign to gather more to be together more to be more exposed to his presence corporately uh, more exposed to the prophetic or to correct teaching and, and doctrine now to end, turn one last time to the left in your Bible to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 14. I just want to talk briefly about Paul's instructions for uh, our, ga- our gatherings in 1 Corinthians uh, 14, just a couple pages over to the left. And um, Paul is addressing how we should approach gathering together, and I think this is important for us to, to make a note on before, before we close. Uh, so, so look down, 1 Corinthians Chapter 14, verse 26. Uh, Here's what he says. He says, What shall we say then, brothers and sisters, when you come together, when you gather, each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. Sounds familiar? If anyone speaks in a tongue, two or at the most three should speak at one time, and someone must interpret. If there's no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and to God. Two or three prophets should speak, and the others should weigh carefully what is said, right? We have the mind of Christ. We get to discern together what God is saying. Verse 30. And if a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first, first speaker should stop. For you can all prophesy in turn so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. Verse 32, the spirit of the prophets is subject to the control of the prophets. In other words, you can't just be like, hey, I'm just saying all this stuff because I'm prophesying and it's the Lord. No, the spirit of the prophets is under control of the prophets. And so you have a role to play in it as well. Verse 33, for God is not a God of disorder. I think sometimes there's an excuse like, And that gathering got wild. God just took control. It's like, well, there's a, it's actually, you have responsibility as a human, and God can also show up at the same time. He's a God of order, not disorder, but of peace, as in all the congregations of the Lord's people. Someday we'll spend a whole month, I'm sure, just going through this passage because it's quite interesting and important. But for tonight, Paul says this In your gatherings, there will be prophecy. There's going to be tongues, there's going to be singing, there's going to be teaching, there's going to be interpretation, and here's the point. The gathering is not for you to do your thing, it's for building and equipping. Like this gathering has a different function than your prayer closet. Does that make sense? (laughs) There are other considerations than just you expressing yourself in this gathering. Um, This isn't saying, hey, don't have weird or wacky things happen in the gathering. When God shows up, he does weird and wacky things. He's done it for thousands of years. It just happens, and it's beautiful. Um, What what Paul is saying is make sure that those things are understood, interpreted, because it does no good if it's not. Interpretation. Jake uh, Vigil put this so eloquently recently in a conversation, and I quoted you. Here you are. Next slide. There we go. Here's what Jake said about the gathering. He said, Come here to our gathering and take faith risks to build others up, not to express yourself or prove to yourself you have the guts to act in faith. Come on. <laughs> okay? So we have a very charismatic church. It's a beautiful thing. Make sure you do what you do to build others up. That's all I'm saying. Okay, so how should you view this gathering? How should you come to this? Ready to see heaven come, <laughs> ready to see the body built and equipped with the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the teachers, the pastors. Come with a prophetic word. He says, each of you, when you come together, you're going to have songs and you're going to have prophetic words and you should come at, at four o'clock, an hour before our gathering, to pre-gathering prayer where we take time and we actually ask God, what are you saying about this gathering? We're going to have words in just a couple minutes right up here that people feel could be prophetic for some of you in the gathering. So powerful. Come with the desire to praise. Like, there's, there are times where you have to make a choice to praise, and it is a sacrifice, and it is a beautiful, beautiful thing that the Lord just delights in. Come, and come with others in mind. So why the church tonight? Equipping. Equipping. Go ahead and stand up. Stand up together. Um, I, I want to uh, just share a prophetic image, and I want you to close your eyes and kind of imagine this with me, if you will. Um. A friend of mine, uh, he visited our church about a year ago, and he had this prophetic image, and he sent it to me. And and as I was writing this message, it just came to mind. And so I want to tell, I'm just going to read what he sent me. And and I want you to just, in your mind's eye, I want you to imagine it. And I want you to go there. God created our imagination for a reason. He intends to use it to teach us, to equip us. This is an equipping moment. So uh, here's what he said. He said, when I was at Saints Hill last, during worship... I saw in my mind God bring me into a room full of weapons and tools. Weapons to fight the enemy and tools to build the kingdom. He told me he isn't looking for people who know how to use them, but for anyone that will use them. I felt like I was in that room when I was at Saints Hill, like I could literally pick up any weapon or tool off the wall and use it right now. That's the purpose of church. That's the purpose of church. And it happens in his presence. In his presence, we get all that we need. All the right things grow. All the wrong things die. We get so equipped and ready for the task uh, that's at hand. So I I just want to ask you this question. What are you being equipped in right now? It could be different than the people around you. What are you receiving here at this church uh, that's getting you ready? And I want you to just think about that. Um, think about the weapons that you're obtaining even right now. And and, and let me pray over you. Go ahead and put your hand over your heart. I'm just gonna pray over you guys. God, would you so equip this church with your truth, with your mind, with your heart for people, with love in the face of of hate, love in the face of offense? And I I just pray the same prayer that, that Paul prayed in Ephesians. God, I ask that you would give this church the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that this church may know you better. I pray that the eyes of their hearts may be enlightened, that they may know the hope to which they have been called and the riches of their glorious inheritance in your church. So Holy Spirit, right now, address the things that only you know uh, that are going on in, in our lives. Just take a moment I was just up here for a long time. (laughs) You're like, that was a long time. And I was talking about a bunch of different things, but how many of you guys understand there are things only he knows and there's things only he can speak to. And so we just take a moment just to listen to you, Holy Spirit, and just to see what you might bring to mind, to see what you might be addressing, to see what you're doing. Thanks for listening. If we can do anything to help you, or if you wanna stay in the loop with what is going on in and around the church, You can follow us on Instagram, download the Saints Hill app in the App Store, or visit our website.